Good morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 16, please. And stand with me to read God's Word. We are going to see today that God opens doors. He's all-powerful, and what God opens, no one can shut. What He shuts, no one can open. And Acts 16 is one of those places where that truth is seen very clearly. The omnipotence of God woven into every inch of the narrative. That God is all-powerful, and He opens doors, doors of growth, doors of guidance, doors of eternal life, giving the gift of eternal life. And he uses believers in the process. And I'm going to be giving you a phrase, really, it's the main point of the sermon. I'm going to give you a phrase many times today, and it's a bit of a tongue twister. So I'm going to give it to you now, and then I'm going to read, and then I'll give it to you again. Here it is. Jesus uses flexible followers faithful to his call. Jesus uses flexible followers faithful to his call. We'll practice that later. Let's read the word. Acts 16, 1 through 15. This is the word of God. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, And the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed that there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have given your word to us. You have preserved it. Thank you, Lord, that it is inerrant, it is infallible, it is inspired. Thank you, Lord, that you use your word to change us. And Lord, I pray today that you would change our hearts, that you would have your way with us, that you would do in us and through us what only you can do, and that we would be yielded to your working. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. 
First thing I want you to do is check out your sermon notes. You got your Bibles open, grab your sermon notes. I want you to see something there. I put a new feature in there this week. It's going to be in there till the end of this series. Thinking through Acts. A one-word summary for every chapter to remember what God did. I've given you these one-word summaries. Now they're there for you to see. To remember what God did in and through his witnesses for his purposes. The story of Christ's work is unfolding through his witnesses for his purposes throughout the book of Acts. And it encourages us regarding what God did in and through them and what he might want to do in and through us. Chapter 15 was about navigating dissension and disagreement. We saw that we can be strong together for the gospel, for biblical truth, and have different opinions on non-essentials and still be great friends. Now moving on into chapter 16 today, the theme shifts to opening. Opening. God opening up opportunities for ministry, opening up the way that his people are to go, opening up hearts to Jesus. And what we see is amazing things that God does and enables in and through his people. And we're not just you know, reading the, the narrative history of the first 30 years of the church, but Christ's work continues. And so these are things where we're like, wow, look at the amazing things God does, and he enables in and through his people, and what might he want to do in and through us? There should be an expectation on our part that God's going to do a work in our hearts as we're exposed to his word, and as we want to do what he reveals to us, and that he is going to do some pretty amazing things, just like he has done over and over and over again. You've seen it in your life before. The God is all-powerful. He opens doors. He opens doors of growth, of guidance, of the gift of eternal life, and he uses believers in the process. So here's the phrase again. Jesus uses flexible followers faithful to his call. You want to try that with me? Jesus uses flexible followers faithful to his call. God wants you to be a flexible follower who's faithful to his call upon your life. The first five verses, we see that idea of being flexible in Paul's life. How God opens up opportunities for the gospel and then grows his church in the midst of that Paul is very flexible about non-essentials. Paul and Barnabas had parted ways. They had joined into two ministry teams instead of one. There was growth in that. And here Timothy is joining Paul and Silas. Verse 1 tells us that Paul came to Derbe and Lystra, and there was a disciple there named Timothy. His mom was a Jewish believer. His dad was a Greek non-believer. That takes us back to Paul's first visit to Lystra, where Lois, who was Timothy's grandma, and Eunice, Timothy's mom, had come to faith in Christ, and now their grandson and son Timothy has come to Christ either on Paul's visit or subsequent to that, and when Paul gets there, Timothy has matured so much in his faith in Christ that Paul says, I want to take this young man on our ministry team. Timothy is young at the time. He is late teens, early 20s. And he is being brought on to this, this ministry team, this second journey that Paul is going to take, where they're going to go to all the cities that they went the first time. All these churches that had been birthed on the first trip, and they're going to go back, and they are going to disciple new believers, and they're going to lead others to Christ. And Timothy's a great guy to have on the team. He is both Jew and Gentile. 
He has access to both cultures. That's indispensable. That's a great asset for ministry service. But Timothy had a Greek dad, and he wasn't circumcised, which basically means he probably didn't grow up in an observant Jewish household. It was not uncommon amongst Jews of the dispersion throughout the Roman Empire to have mixed marriages between Jew and Gentiles. It was illegal, though, under Jewish law. In the case of a mixed marriage, you would trace the lineage through the mother's line. And so the Jews would have seen Timothy as a Jew. Now, his father was a Greek. His father was an unbeliever. The the verb tense there suggests his father had died. But verse 2 tells us that Timothy, this young man, this late teens, early 20s, was highly regarded. He had a great reputation with the churches in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul, verse 3, really wants to take Timothy with him. So he circumcises Timothy. Now many of you are going to say, time out, whoa, 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 how can this be possible? Paul was a part of the group that so clearly, so clearly stated that circumcision is not essential for salvation and is not essential to please God. So why is Timothy getting circumcised? And as is often the case, just look right in the text. Look right in the verse. We have the answer. Timothy was clearly saved, was clearly pleasing God, but the reason why he got circumcised is because the Jews knew that his father was a Greek. They knew his father was a Gentile and and an unbeliever, and so what circumcision does here is open the door for ministry amongst the Jews in the synagogues where they would visit. They would go into a town. They would go first to the synagogues, preach the gospel. Now, if Timothy had not been circumcised, the Jews would have said, you have renounced your Jewish heritage, you're not welcome here, you're living as a Gentile. And Paul didn't want to put any roadblock in the way of the Jews that might come to faith in Christ as a result of the preaching. It's just like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, I became all things to all men so that, so that I might win some. It's all about the gospel with Paul. It's all about preaching the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. That should be your motto if you're a Christian. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I am undone if I am not focused on the gospel truth by which I am saved, by which I serve God, and by which he will bring me to heaven. He wants to put no roadblock in the way of the people that are going to be hearing the good news of salvation in Christ. Verse 4 tells us, then they go through the cities. Everything's cleared up with Timothy. They go through the cities and they're delivering for observation, for observance, the decisions that were made in Jerusalem at the Jerusalem Council. The decrees, the the determination that the elders and the, the apostles had made. And we saw the decision they made in chapter 15, verses 23 to 29. What, what we saw is they're telling them very clearly, you do not need to be circumcised to become a Christian. You do not need to be circumcised to grow in your faith in Christ. That would be very, very encouraging news for these Gentile believers to hear. But what they also delivered to them was, you are now in the body of Christ, and you have Jew and Gentile alike in the family of God, and you have brothers and sisters, that if you exercised your full freedom, you are going to stumble them in their faith. So they gave them some very clear, basic instructions on some non-essentials, and basically said, curb your freedom 
for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ. The result, only God could bring this about. Verse 5, the churches were strengthened in the faith every day, and every day the churches were, they, they increased, they, they grew, there were more people coming to faith in Christ. There were more people joining up with, this, with the body of Christ. Paul circumcised Timothy so as not to hinder ministry to the Jews. Now this is the same Paul who opposed vigorously Titus being circumcised. You see it in Galatians 2, 1 through 10. But here he is flexible on a non-essential and he circumcises Timothy so as not to hinder ministry. The application for us is very simple. Be flexible in ministry. Be flexible as you serve Christ. Don't don't give non-essentials a promotion they don't deserve. We learn here that you can't always have it your own way. You can't always get what you want. You got to think of others as more important than yourself. Paul did this for the sake of the Jews that were going to hear the gospel. Jesus said, deny yourself. We are to be we are to be building up other believers, edifying other believers by, by being flexible. Everything is not a federal case. We need to flex, we need to yield, we need to accommodate so that those who are going to hear the gospel or our brothers and sisters in Christ will not be stumbled, but there will be no roadblock in the way. It's just like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. Those who are in Christ should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. You've got to be flexible. But our problem, our fallen condition is that we are inflexible. We are inflexible, we are rigid, we are sometimes resistant to to flexing, and and most often we are inflexible when we treat non-essential things as absolute truth. There There are certain things that every Christian should be willing to die for with all their brothers and sisters in Christ. The deity of Christ, that Jesus is God. The substitutionary atonement that Jesus died for our sins in our place at the cross. The virgin birth, the bodily resurrection, the authority of God's word, the authority of scripture. Those are things that all Christians should be willing to die for. But there are a lot of other things, a host of other things. In fact, I'm not even going to start naming things because they're myriad. Where we would say, you might be tempted to say, all Christians should, dot, dot, dot. And, and list something that is not essential for salvation and that every Christian, God hasn't made clear that every Christian needs to experience that or do that or observe that. What you want to be inflexible about, absolutely, on an ongoing basis and never waver and be fixed, be invariable, be unalterable on is a passion for Jesus and the word of God, and the gospel truth. You've got to be flexible on non-essentials and even ones that you might have made non-negotiable. What Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.22 is, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. So everything he did was for the sake of the gospel message. In 2 Timothy 2.10, he said, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. I care about the church of Christ. I am not going to put a stumbling block in the brother or sister's way. We've got to flex. We've got to be flexible on non-essentials. Let me give you an example with your own skeleton. Okay, we're going to use your own skeleton as an example. 
Now you're going to say, well, yeah, there's bones, there's cartilage, and joints. We've got our joints, and some of us, as we're getting older, some of the joints are creaking. Some of the joints are painful when we wake up in the morning. We've got cartilage, like there's my nose. It's a cartilage. I can just bend it back and forth. Not going to break it, though. I'm just going to be careful. And then you come to the bones, and you're like, yeah, those bones are fixed. They're strong. They're hard. And some of you are like, yeah, I've broken a whole bunch, right? But a lot of people think that bones are hard and lifeless, but they're actually living, growing tissue. And bones are made up of three major components that make them both strong and flexible. So you can play contact sports like football and basketball and soccer and volleyball and ping pong and not, and bump into people and not break everything. Let me give you another example. Trees. You see a tall palm tree. You see a, a tall pine tree. And, and the wind comes up. We get a lot of wind around here. And you get some, some heavy winds. And you watch the tree. And it is swaying in the breeze. It is swaying in the wind. But it's not breaking in half. And, and it's, it's not getting uprooted. Why? Because it's got strong roots. And it's got a strong trunk. And it is made to bend but not break under pretty normal conditions so we need to bend but don't break we need to be strong on the essentials and be flexible on the non-essentials but again our problem our fallen our fallen condition is, is such that we are weak god is strong but we are very weak and and this is a tough calling for us i'm consistently struck by the power of god the power of god we should be awestruck at the power of God. That he does things that there is no way any human could do. The birth of a baby. We could never figure all that out and get that to happen. The salvation of a soul. Of mercy and grace being poured out upon a soul who is repentant and, and, and wants the forgiveness that Jesus offers. How, how God can, can extend grace and give us what we do not deserve. And then in mercy hold back the wrath that we do deserve. These are things that only by the power of God can they come about. I've said it many times, but the Spirit of God uses the Word of God in the lives of the people of God for the glory of God. He uses the Word to change us. You think about this series in Acts. We started this a year ago, June. And before we started... We did something that we always do before I preach through a book of the Bible. We do a bring the book where we read every verse of every chapter of the whole book. So one night we all got together and we read all 28 chapters of Acts, every word. And it was all ages, men, women, boys and girls. And some of you read chapters and, and we did this together. And we were impacted on just one evening by the word of God. Now you think about what's happened in the last year. We've been exposed to Every verse in, in 15 chapters so far in the book of Acts. And we have lived with it. We have thought about it. We have talked to our family about it. We have talked with our small groups about it and our home groups. And, and we, are, we are, even though you might not realize, we are being changed by God, by his power. And you say, well, it's been a year. And let's say you're 70 and you're like, that isn't a major portion of my life. But let's say you're eight years old and you were seven when we started. Now that's a pretty significant percentage of your life that we've been going through the book of Acts. Let's say you were seven when we started and you're now like two inches taller. 
And you're like, I've grown. You're 70 and now you're two inches shorter, right? But what about the spiritual growth that God has brought about in your heart and your life and your household and your interactions and your relationships in this past year? Many of you would say, I don't even know how to quantify it. But some of you would say, you know what? God has been doing a work in me that maybe hasn't worked its way out yet, but my attitudes are changing by God's power. And and my, my viewpoints on some things are changing because I'm adopting what the word says versus what I was thinking about that. And God is changing me. Others of you would say, you know what? People have noticed a change in me. Because I'm taking it seriously, and I want to do what it says, and, and I want to worship the God and, and praise the glories of God's grace in Christ. Because of what I've seen in the book of Acts, we have been watching how a, a, a young church loves each other, the closeness of believers, and God is building in us a greater desire for real fellowship. Caring and sharing community lived in close proximity. We have been watching the body of Christ have a heart for people who don't know Christ. And God is building in us a a deeper desire and and heart to serve up the gospel to people in our households and people in our neighborhoods and and to as far as God sends us to the ends of the earth. And it's because of the power of God. And so when you think about life and ministry, and you think about flexibility on non-essentials, which is a real struggle for, for most of us. You think about life and ministry, according to me, too often it's a twisted shell of what it really should be. And it's about what I want and about what feels best and about what pleases me and about the path of least resistance and about what's easier. But how, and we've got to ask this question, how does what Jesus did at the cross make us more flexible people? And it's a simple answer. It's a simple answer. When we realize that he gave up his own rights so that we could be made right with God, so that we could be justified, so that we could have right standing with God, we who were dead in our transgressions and our sins could have the righteousness of Christ. And we realize that Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and not insist upon our own way and not think we're always right and that we ought to flex because of the freedom and the forgiveness we've been given in Christ. That's why we can do it. Only because of Jesus and what he did at the cross. He can transform us into formerly rigid people that are flexible on the on the on the non-essentials and and very firm on the essentials. So that's the first thing we see. Jesus uses flexible believers. Second thing I want you to look at in verses six through ten. It's about followers. It's about being a follower of Christ. We're seeing here that God is opening up the way that his people should go. He's directing them and guiding his people. But it's not like just connect the dots and it's really simple or it's a straight line. It's more like a pinball machine where they're bouncing all over the place. It's called the Macedonian call. Verse 6 says, they go to Phrygia and Galatia. The problem is, now they're wanting to preach the gospel there. Problem is, the Holy Spirit is saying, no, you're not going there. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, but not there and not now. That's tough for us, isn't it? 
Not allowed. You're not allowed to go to Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. You're not allowed to go where Ephesus is and Smyrna and Philadelphia and Laodicea and Colossae and Sardis and Pergamos and Thyatira. You can't go there and preach the gospel. I know you want to, but you can't. And then verse 7, so they go, okay, we're going to go to Mysia. That's northwest part of Asia Minor. They're kind of like skirting around it. And they're trying to go into Bithynia. That's a Roman province northeast of Mysia. And it says that the Spirit of Jesus does not let them. No permit. You can't go. Your passport won't work here. The Spirit of Jesus will not let them. Now, two closed doors. They want to preach the gospel. They want to go. They're willing. They're able. They're, they're ready. And, and the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus says, no, you're not doing that. I don't know how they got the message. I don't know how it came across to them. They were convinced this is what God wanted. God is, is guiding them. He's opening up the way by, by, by negative guidance, by saying, nope, that's not the way. Nope, that's not the way. But they're one step closer to the way they were to, to be going. It says the spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to go. Now we're in the OJK, OGK mysteries of God that we don't understand. We're in deeper waters than we can fathom. Only God knows. And, and it's in the active voice where it says the spirit of Jesus would not allow them. He was withholding it from them. He was preventing them. He was refusing for them to go that way. He was forbidding them. It's a very strong word. And God is doing this. They're not making this stuff up. God is doing it. And they're forbidden. For reasons only God knows, he providentially stops their travel going north. They're getting boxed in here. If you look at a map in the back of your Bible, you're like, wow, they don't really have a lot of space. They're on a sliver of land here. And they're kind of just... Going, but verse 8 says they go another way and they pass Mysia and they go down to Troas. It's a seaport on the Aegean Sea. And then it happens. Verse 9 Paul gets a vision in the middle of the night. And there's a man from Macedonia that's across the Aegean Sea on the mainland of Greece. And the man is literally pleading. He's asking, he's inviting, he's saying, Come over and help us. This is a vision in the night. And Paul's getting this vision. And this guy is literally pleading, come help us. Help us. Now there's your open door. There's your Macedonian call. Across the Aegean Sea, mainland Greece, where Philippi and Thessalonica is. This is the second of six visions that Paul receives in the book of Acts. First is on the road to Damascus in chapter 9, Jesus himself says, Paul, what are you doing? <laughs> Here, he gets this vision. Chapter 18, Jesus himself encourages him. Chapter 22, Jesus himself speaks to him. Chapter 23, Jesus himself says, have courage. And chapter 27, an angel of God says, don't fear. He's getting these assurances from God and he's getting these visions. Chapter, um, verse 10, Paul sees the vision and immediately they conclude God wants us to go there and preach the gospel. And they discern that the triune God wants them to do this. In fact, it's supported by the text. The Holy Spirit tells them not to go. The Spirit of Jesus tells them not to go. They conclude that God tells them not to go. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God is calling them to preach the gospel there. They got an open door. They're going to go through it. 
They gotta do some things to get there. There's a little bit of travel involved. But did you catch in verse 10 the word we? It's a huge change in the book of Acts. It's the first we section. There's some we sections in the book of Acts. It's the first person plural, and what it indicates is Luke is with the team. Luke is right then traveling with the team. He's experiencing what's going on, and he's going to Macedonia. Because God is giving guidance to his people. Very geographical guidance, by the way. Very significant guidance. There's, the significance of the Macedonian call cannot be underestimated. This is universe-altering guidance from God. Because Europe was evangelized starting at that point via two closed doors and an open door from God. God's sovereign timing. He knows. Now, a dream was directing him. He was directed by God in a dream. Let's talk about that. You have to admit, you know it. It's true. Sometimes God led people like that in the Bible. But also, sometimes Paul just had this idea. Hey, let's go to all the cities that we had gone to before where there's a church now, and let's go encourage the believers. God was guiding him through that as well. He just had an idea, a really good idea. I want to remind you something, and I've said this in, about the book of Acts many times, that Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. We're, we're tracing the, the, the growth of the church over the first 30 years of the church's existence. It is foundational history of the church. It's Christ's work through his witnesses for his purposes, but it is, it is descriptive, not prescriptive. It is describing what God did. It is not prescribing how it needs to look in every instance in your life or in the church. What we do know with assurance is the Spirit of God leads his people. The Spirit of God leads through his word, always synced with the word, but God can communicate however he pleases to his people. He is all-powerful. And he is, he is speaking to Paul in a vision of the night Paul was indwelt by the Spirit of God. Believers, if you're a believer, you're indwelt by the Spirit of God. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that started, by the way, the promise for that was back in Ezekiel 36. God says, I will put my Spirit in you. I'm going to do this. Romans 8, verse 9, Paul says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. If you're a professing believer in Christ, if you're a true believer in Christ, you got the Holy Spirit living in you. John 14, Jesus said, he will live with you, he will be in you. The Holy Spirit, he's God. And the indwelling Spirit does a work in the hearts of believers. First and foremost, gives us new life. We who were dead in our transgressions and sins, gives us new life. And the Spirit gives us direction. The Spirit guides us. Those, those who he indwells, he gives us guidance so that we know how we should live. Romans 8.14 says those led by God's Spirit are sons of God. John Owen said the Spirit leads in two ways. Shows us what the way is and, su and supports us in that way. Psalm 119 verse 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet, it's a light to my path. John 16.13, Jesus said the Spirit is going to guide you into all truth. 1 John 2.27 tells us we have an anointing from God, the Holy Spirit. We have an anointing from God. And you know, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, 
if you're regenerate, if you're born again, you know this, the Holy Spirit who indwells you supports you in your trials and your burdens. Comforting you, John 14, 26. Strengthening you in the midst of many unknowns. Think about all the unknowns in your life. Geographical unknowns, relational unknowns, occupational unknowns, and many more. Think about the many longings in your heart. Your hopes, your desires, your wishes. All the things you don't know the answer to and the Holy Spirit is with you, supporting you in those burdens and those trials and those unknowns. We know this for sure. God sometimes opens doors. And sometimes God closes doors. Sometimes you find the door closed, locked, and barred to you. And we do not like closed doors. We are frustrated with closed doors. You go somewhere and the door's locked and like, you know, you're knocking on the door, let me in, right? You want to get in. You want the door to be open. That, that's freeing. You don't want to be pushed out. You're asking God about something in your life that you don't know, and you're saying, God, what should I do? And you go in a certain direction, and the door is closed. So you go in another direction, and you're still asking God, what should I do? And, and the door's closed. And you go in another direction, and you're asking God, what should I do? And the door's closed. And you could get depressed and anxious about it. You get, you get cynical about it. Well, God doesn't care about me. God isn't hearing my prayers. Or you might even get angry at God. But what you need to understand is that closed doors, while they are negative guidance, are true guidance from God. And they are good for us. They are good for us. God is guiding you through the process of elimination. That's not the way. That's not the way. That's not the way. Now you're one step closer to the way you're supposed to go. God closes doors for you not because he has nothing for you to do. Like, hey, just go on a vacation until I'm ready for you. No. It's to keep you from getting into something to which you are not called. To save you for the thing to which you are called. Praise God for closed doors. I know plans according to me are too often, again, a twisted shell of what they ought to be. Too often it's, well, it's my desires, what I want, my timing, my choices. And I know we're, we're all like that. We're all wired this way. We're pre-wired this way. But what I see in Paul and Silas is yielded, trusting hearts that aren't complaining. They're just going. <laughs> they accept the open doors. They accept the closed doors. They don't complain about it. They don't get depressed about it. They don't say that God's not listening or that they're angry at him. He closes two doors on them. He opens one door in his perfect timing. But guess what they were doing? This is very important for us to grasp. What were they doing when the doors were getting closed? They were moving. They kept moving. They didn't get stuck. They didn't say, I'm going to stay right here until we get the answer. They didn't do that. It's not what they did. They kept moving the whole time. The application for us is pretty simple. Keep following Jesus, even when the doors are closed. Now, don't go busting down doors that are closed to you. Keep going somewhere. Do something good. Do something. Desire God's will and love God and do as you please. Titus 3 tells us we should engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs. We have this, you know, agenda for ourselves, and it's like, wait, the doors have been closed? Go find a need and meet it. Go find a need and meet it. 
God will be pleased with that. See, movement is very essential. Uh, an example, think of learning. Think of learning any skill. Movement is essential to learning. It's an indispensable part of learning and thinking. It's all connected together. It's an integral part of mental processing. Your brain literally is activated through physical activity. You want to pin down a thought? There must be movement. Movement anchors thought. All kinds of skills that you probably have in your life were built through muscle movement. Whether it's medicine, the arts, music, science. If you're competent in any field, you develop that confidence through this integral intricate network this internal networking amongst your thoughts your muscles and your emotions i mean some people say you know i think best when i'm walking or when i'm swimming or running or shaving i've had a lot of great ideas when i'm shaving exercise invigorates your brain cells i think you get the point as a believer following jesus you must be moving to get more guidance at least on my phone, my Apple Maps or my Google Maps, they work that way. If I'm not moving and I just stand still, I'm not getting the instructions. I don't know if I'm going the wrong way or the wrong, right way because I'm not going. You've got to be moving in a certain direction. So you've got to follow Jesus. You've got to listen to the word of God. You've got to perceive what God is putting on your heart. You've got to respond. You've got to do his work. What did they want to do? All they wanted to do was share the gospel, help people come to Christ and grow in him. That's all they wanted. That was their agenda. That was it. No other agenda. So how does what Jesus did at the cross make us more, more intent on following Jesus, make us better followers? Again, simple answer. Without the cross, you can't follow Jesus. You can't follow Jesus apart from the cross. He led the way. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He takes you from start to finish. And he wants you to, 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 to cooperate with him and move as he directs and obey what he says and, and desire his will. So that's the second thing we see. Is we, we need to be flexible. We also need to be followers. And, and let's look at the third thing. Verses 11 through 15. He wants you to be faithful to his calling. In this passage, we see God is opening up hearts and giving his gift of eternal life. You see the conversion of Lydia. Verse 11, they, they go, they're going, they're going now, and they set sail from Troas, they make a direct voyage to Samothrace, an island in the Aegean Sea, halfway between Asia Minor and the Greek mainland. They stay there overnight, they don't want to sail at night, it'd be dangerous. The next day, Neapolis, port city of Philippi, 10 miles away. Verse 12, from there they go to Philippi, they stay there for a while, they're 10 miles inland from Neapolis, they're in Philippi, named after Philip II of Macedon, Alexander the Great's dad. And they're in this city, this Roman colony, begun in 31 BC. It was a free, self-governing, independent colony, exempt from tax. tax. Uh, you could have land ownership, full ownership there. It was a great city. And on the, on the Sabbath, verse 13, they go outside the gate to the riverside because Philippi is too small to have a synagogue. There, you need at least 10 heads of household men that are Jews to form a synagogue. But they went to what they were supposing to be a place of prayer. If you didn't have a synagogue, you'd have a place of prayer out by the riverside where people would come, hear the Old Testament, discuss it. And there was a group of women there and they were sitting down and talking to them. Verse 14 tells us one of them was named Lydia. She was from Thyatira. Guess where Thyatira is? In Asia where they couldn't go. And she's a seller of purple fabrics. She she worships God, and she's, she's wealthy. She's a businesswoman, and she sells purple, which 
were worn by royalty and wealthy people. Very expensive. Purple dye was very expensive. And she had a home large enough to host a missions team because she said, come over to my house. She, she housed the new church in Philippi. She was a worshiper of God like Cornelius, believed in God, wasn't a Jew. But it says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. There's another reference to the sovereignty of God and salvation. God chooses and calls his own. And you must respond. You must believe. The Lord opened her heart. That's in the active voice. Lydia had nothing to do with the opening of her heart. And verse 15 tells us after she was baptized and her household, those who were in her household under her authority, under her care, had come to faith in Christ, also believed, and they get baptized. Believer's baptism. So what happens here? God directs them away from Asia, leads them to a woman from Asia who would probably take the gospel back there. The application for us is very simple. Keep preaching the gospel and trust God with the results. Be faithful to the calling that God gives you. Be faithful to whatever he commands you to do. Stick with it. Keep doing what you're called to do. Do Christ-honoring work. If you're getting a paycheck for your job, you should be very thankful that God in his providential working of all things is having, if you work for a secular company, they're paying for you to do Christ-honoring work. God is so good. God is so good. Your first uh, responsibility in your job is to do your job very, very well and honor Christ through your work. Be and do what God has called you to do. Husband, wife, teacher, lawyer, plumber, fireman, policeman, mom, dad, brother, sister. You're called to live for Christ and bear faithful witness to him every day. Faithful goes beyond wanting to be faithful. It's actually being faithful, trusting God's strength. There was a a little book that was written in 1960, two years before I was born even. And it was called The Gospel Blimp. It was by Joseph Bailey. It was about this group of Christians that was having a barbecue in the backyard one day. And they, um, they saw their neighbors across the fence. And they're like, wow, they're, they're really lost. And you know, they got issues. And they're being too loud. And they're doing all sorts of weird things. We need to reach them with the gospel. I know what we'll do. Let's get a blimp. And then we'll drop tracks, gospel tracks on them. We'll get some loudspeakers and get some gospel preaching going. And they had this like association of the blimp. They would never talk to the neighbor. In fact, they had all this organization and all this, uh, you know, administration of the blimp issue. And they didn't have time to talk to their neighbors. The neighbors knocked on the door one day and said, you want to go fishing? And they're like, we're too busy with the blimp. One guy and his wife drops out of the blimp group because they're like, you know what, this is just weird. Why don't we just go talk to our neighbors? They lead their neighbors to Christ. They bring them to the blimp group and the blimp group's like, you want to join the blimp group? They're like, no, we're going to go talk to our neighbors about Jesus. But isn't it weird that sometimes we get so wrapped up in, in the, the wrapping that we forget about the substance of what we are called to actually be faithful to, which is Jesus and the gospel message? What God opens, no one can shut. He opens up opportunities to grow his church. He opens up guidance to us. He, he opens up hearts to the gospel. And we're to be flexible and following and faithful to our calling. And the question I'll just ask you as we close is this. Has God opened up your heart to the gospel message? Might have been years ago, might have been right now. You can't open up your heart to the gospel message. Your mommy can't open up your heart to the gospel message. Your dad can't open up your heart to the gospel message. Your brother can't open up your heart to the gospel message. Your sister can't open up your heart to the gospel message. Your friends can't open up your heart to the gospel message. Only Jesus can open up your heart 
to what he has done in your place on the cross because he is all-powerful and he opens doors. He opened the door of Lydia's heart. And she believed and she was baptized and so we're gonna celebrate believer's baptism right now. And I wanna say this, if you have not been baptized and you're a believer, you can get baptized right now. If you have a testimony of, of faith in Christ, you know Jesus died for your sins, you know he died in your place and you believe that he was was buried and rose again and is exalted at the right hand of the Father and he's coming back for those who love him. If you love Jesus and you haven't been baptized, take the step of obedience. You can go right now. There's, there's two people that are gonna get baptized right now, walking up into the water. But I encourage you, if God has opened your heart to the gospel and you haven't been baptized as a believer, come get baptized right now. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, Lord, that you are our peace, your Jehovah Shalom, and you are our shepherd who leads us, Jehovah Ra'ah, and thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. Thank you that you've provided for us at the cross. You've provided salvation for all who will believe. Thank you, Lord, that you open up our hearts to the gospel message, and thank you, Lord, for believers' baptism. Bless these now that will be coming to profess their faith in Christ, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.